Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have John Fagan, who is the co-founder and CEO of DoorKey. DoorKey makes NYC apartment seeking easier and cheaper for everyone. They help departing tenants make up to one-third month's rent by providing access to their apartments before they move. And then apartment seekers can find and close on their next apartment on their own schedule months earlier than before. Again, just in New York City as of right now. New York City is huge, though. Plenty of room. Hopefully coming to LA soon. In this episode, we go through how John actually started this company. What were some of the first things he did to get it off the ground? How he ended up getting more than $5 million of investment of VC money to grow the company, some of the challenges along the way, and much, much more. I'm so excited to bring you this episode because I think DoorKey is going to absolutely crush it. You can find more about them at DoorKey.com. That's D-O-O-R-K-E-E.com. As always, the show notes are at JustGoGrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show by leaving a rating and review over an Apple podcast. And of course, the weekly grind, tips, tools, and strategies for growing a business can be found at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. And without further ado, here's John Fagan, the co-founder and CEO of DoorKey. John, welcome to the show. Justin, thanks for having me. Yes, and so excited to talk about DoorKey and what you're building with this company. For people who maybe aren't as familiar, can you give a little bit of overview of what the company is? Sure. Uh, Dorky, as we like to say, reinvents rent. And the way we do that is we align the incentives of each of the parties in a rental transaction. And you may be thinking, oh, well, you have the incoming tenant, you have the landlord, these two people are negotiating, and those are the only parties. But when you think about it, there's actually a third party that should be involved, and that's the current tenant of the apartment. And the reason why we decided to get them involved is because it makes the entire process a whole lot smoother for everybody. And so what we do is we get early notice from a tenant who is not renewing their lease. And then we get that tenant to help their landlord out by um, offering to provide information about their unit and give tours to potential new tenants. And the reason why departing tenants would want to do that is because when there's a closing on Dorky's platform, that old tenant gets about a third of a month's rent refund. And so um, if you think about it, you're in an apartment right now. You may be moving out in a few months. You may be reticent to tell your landlord because there's no incentive to do so. Well, what if I could tell you that you can earn $1,000 just by giving that early notice and showing a few people around your apartment? Um, That creates a lot of value for the landlord because they save money on broker fees. They save money on unnecessary vacancy because we fill their unit before it's vacant. And apartment seekers love it because anyone who's looked at an apartment knows that you only can wait to the last minute to find your next place. And that's really stressful and it's really frustrating and you end up settling. Well, now with the help of the departing tenant, you can not only learn more about the apartment, but you can search on your own timeframe. You can find it months in advance. You can apply, get your background check, sign the lease, transfer your funds all on Dorothy's platform. John, this just makes way too much sense <laughs> um, of like, it's kind of like a why has this not been existing yeah. or around before? I mean, I remember he- first hearing about uh, Dorky and I was like, wow, this is like a no brainer for people. How did this then get started in the first place? Sure. So I, I first of all, I totally agree with you, Justin. I, I think it is a no brainer, <laughs> right? And-, and we could get, we can get into it a little bit later about why this, uh, why this doesn't exist yet. Uh, but the way we got started in the first place is, uh, so Jordan, who's my co-founder, him and I met first day of law school, uh, instantly became best friends uh, after a, a very interesting interaction in our first class, which uh, if anybody meets me in person, <laughs> go ahead and feel feel free to, to ask me about that, about how we met. Um, but Jordan and I decided being lawyers really was not for us. And, um, and we decided like, let's go into business. Like we want to be the people to create something instead of the people that say, no, 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 don't run too fast in the hallways. Yeah. And so- you know, we looked at a bunch of options and just none of it was speaking to us. And so we decided like, let's take a pause. Like I told Jordan, like, let's take a pause on the whole building a business thing because we're just exploring things for the sake of exploring it. And there's no passion there. And so lo and behold, once we decided to stop trying to shoehorn our future, <laughs> a couple months later, I, I realized that uh, my lease was expiring in December and I was told that I couldn't renew because they were, they were converting the building. And so I was like, okay, great. So it's August. I love this apartment. It's really cheap. It's in the heart of Williamsburg. It's really huge. I have this amazing deal. I ain't leaving until they kick me out <laughs> on December 15th, right? right? So I'm like, but I also don't want to wait, right? Like moving is this sort of like really, it's a very visceral thing. 
where like it's your home, it's your safe place. And so I was like, I want to be able to find where I'm going to be living in the future, but I want to find it now. And it turns out you just can't do that. There's no mechanism for it, right? Even if you go to your, your popular internet listing service, units are available immediately. And I was like, that's really dumb because I'm sure there are people out there like me who know they're moving and then we can just kind of like swap apartments, right? And so um, Jordan and I started brainstorming on this and we realized that this was a this was a problem that a lot of people had had. I, I explained the the painful process of me looking for an apartment, um, having to have a broker get involved and then having a landlord have their broker get involved. And then I did all the research and I showed up to the unit and all they did was key me in. And I was like, I can't believe both of you brokers want $4,000 right. for having keyed me into an apartment and processing my paperwork. Like, this is madness. And so we ended up, um, my friend Mike and I ended up losing the apartment because we couldn't justify spending all those money on broker fees. And I was like, the more I complained about this, the more stories I heard that were exactly similar. This is a painfully broken process. And that's when I realized that the linchpin in the entire transaction was getting that early notice from the departing tenant, right? Get them not only to tell you when they're leaving, but also get them involved, get them financially incentivized. And so we figured that you actually don't need brokers for most transactions because you have the departing tenant there who can talk confidently about the apartment and the building. They can give you access in the times that you want to be there and they don't need to, to make as much money to make this worth their while. And so, you know, Jordan and I looked at this and we said, this is a no brainer. <laughs> and, um, you know, thankfully, Jordan was a real lawyer. I, I, was, I was what I call a fake lawyer. Um, and and I, we, we ran into some legal hurdles like early on. Uh, and I just told Jordan, I'm like, look, man, just figure it out. Like there's this is too obvious yeah. of a problem to solve. Um, just figure it out. And, and thankfully, he was able to um, figure out a really elegant way uh, to operate completely within the bounds of the current broker law. And, and here we are. That's awesome. And I want to go back to one thing with this too. So starting off, you know, you have this problem. It's a personal problem first. And that's how a lot of businesses right. end up starting. Right. And then you know, you notice like other people are mentioning the same thing as well. At what point did you go from, it's a problem for me, it's a problem for others to, okay, we're, we're going to actually do this. Like we're going to really try to like go after and build this thing. Like how, how did that transition into that? Yeah. So uh, what we did when I first thought of the idea was uh, my chief of staff, who also happens to be my cousin, um, I'm, I'm really close with my cousin James uh, and his twin brother, John. And so they were visiting me at my apartment in Williamsburg and I ran the idea by them and they were just like, yeah, they, they had your exact same response to us. And they were like, obviously, like, yeah. this is an amazing idea. Like this, this is too obvious. And so um, I brought it to Jordan and there's actually a very funny story there. Cause originally Jordan was very anti this idea. Um, <laughs> but eventually after we, after we chatted for a bit, he was like, you know what, this actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, synergy here for each of the parties. And so that was about three years ago. Um, that was just about three years ago, like this month. And so um, I was still working as a consultant. Jordan was still working as an attorney. Um, James was still in, in undergrad. And so uh, we started doing some exploration. We just sort of like felt the market out because none of us were in real estate. Like we yeah. were just three guys who realized and experienced this obvious problem. And so we said, like, this needs to be fixed. We didn't know anything about real estate. And so we just spent the next six months or so just really doing research, just reaching out to landlords, talking to our friends, talking to our colleagues, reading a bunch of blogs and books on startups and entrepreneurship and, and real estate. And then um, we, went out to, uh, we went out to Long Island uh, for a weekend in uh, January of the next year, about two and a half years ago. And we just spent three days really just brainstorming, doing research. And I remember we were in we were in Jordan's living room and we have this giant whiteboard that we bought and we were doing research on just how big the total addressable market was. And our eyes got just enormous yeah. because real estate as an asset class is like mind boggling, mind bogglingly large. And especially in the rental space, there has been so little in terms of innovation um, when it, whether it comes to either technology uh, adoption or business model innovation, and and Dorky is is both. And so uh, at the time, obviously, we hadn't ironed out all of the kinks the way we had now. Yeah. But when we looked at the scope of the problem and we saw it in terms of the the sheer numbers, and we felt it viscerally, 
And it was confirmed with everybody who we spoke to who had experienced this. We were like, you know what? This is very, very obviously somewhere we have to go. Uh, and so for the next six months, um, even though we were all at our own jobs, you know, we just we worked really hard on putting together a business plan, wrapping our mind around the intricacies of the problem, uh, building out a, a model for um, for the for the uh, financial yep. for the financials. And then about eight months in, um, so about two years ago, uh, Jordan went to uh, one of his mentors who he had greatly admired, and his name is Mark Kleiner. And he worked at, at Platform with, with Jordan previously. And we asked Mark to just give us some advice because Jordan had such respect for him. And uh, he was like, okay, I'll take a look at the business plan. Uh, and they came back to us and they said, to be honest with you, like this, I'm not in real estate. I'm, <laughs> I'm, this isn't really my field. Like, I, I don't know how to help. And he was like, why don't you just, why don't you just like go ask the people in your network, like what they think of the idea and then give us some critiques. And so he did, he asked his kids and he asked his friend's kids. And Mark came back and was like, you know what? My kids who are in college and my, my friends' kids um, uh, and my kids' friends, they all love this idea. They think it's brilliant. He was like, I want to be able to support you. And then how about I give you a little bit of funding? And we're like, you know, we're not ready for funding yet. Um, and then eventually he's like, well, how about I give you a little more funding? And we're like, look, we're not negotiating, Mark. Like, we really don't know what to do with the money. All we have is a business plan. And then he like, he tripled his original offer. And we're like, you know what? Screw it. We'll figure out what to do with the money. Uh, and that is the story of how we, we came from this really being very theoretical uh, to being very concrete. Uh, and, and Mark Kleiner, who is our angel investor, will forever be uh, one of our heroes and one of our champions for, for believing in us so early on. That's, that's amazing. It's such an incredible story. And with that early financing then, so you have a little bit of funding, like what is, what is in the first steps you take to making this happen? Because you said, you know, we don't need money right now. We're not really interested. Mm -hmm. Then you just have, okay, here's the money out there. What did you, what was the use of funds kind of early on with that first uh, funding? Mm -hmm. So honestly, we, the, the only thing we knew to do was to just create a prototype to figure out like Jordan and I, are non-technical co-founders. And so a lot of investors will say, like, if you don't have a technical co-founder, we will not invest in you, yep. right? For example, like a lot of, um, like Y Combinator, they don't have a very strict rule, but but they, they basically say like, we, we, we lean on companies that have a technical co-founder. And Jordan and I, with our hubris of being neophytes, we're like, we don't need a technical co-founder. <laughs> what? Those? Um, what? That's, yeah, right. And plus, they're wildly hard to come by. And so what I decided to do is I decided to learn how to be a coder. I was going to hack my way through it. That lasted for about a month. Um, it was embarrassing how yeah. bad I was. It's just, it just wasn't me. It's not my skill set. And so we decided, let's use this money to build a prototype, right? John can't do it. We need to go to, to a shop to help us work through this. And so... Um, we got connected with a, a shop called Big Human out of Union Square in New York City. Absolutely fantastic shop. Really just, they, I mean, they work with startups. They work with big companies. Um, they have their totally full service agency. Um, and they they wanted to work with us because they had so many people on staff who had had this problem. Yeah. They were like, we love this. Um, and as a matter of fact, um, I talk about not having a technical co-founder. Well, we almost sort of did. And and what happened was we we took that money. And we were building out the prototype and we had been in contact with a couple of folks who were investors and who were interested while we were building the prototype. Now, we had had someone on the team who, who Mark had referred us to, um, to, to be our, our technical guy as our, our first employee, our first hire, but he just wasn't the right fit. He, his skill set was a lot more senior. He wasn't sort of like on the ground engineer that we needed. Um, but at the same time, as we were uh, building out the prototype with Big Human, our lead backend engineer, his name is Jake Benton. Jake decided to take a, a job somewhere else um, right before uh, he finished the project. And I was devastated. I loved Jake. I was, I was just, you know, I was like relying on Jake. I've been working with him. You know, him and I had become friends. And I was just, I was devastated. Um, and then Jake told me uh, before he left, he was like, hey, John, I, honest to God, I love what you're doing at Dorky. I've worked on hundreds of these over the course of my career. He's like, this is the best idea. And he's like, I think this is going to be wildly successful. I'd love to stay in contact over the course of the next you know, six to eight months. Uh, eventually, maybe we can work together. And so um, about a month after that, Jordan and I just said to ourselves, like, we love Jake. He is one of the best engineers we've ever met. Everybody at Big Human had great respect for him. The work he did, the condition he left the work in when he decided to take his new job just told me the sort of integrity that he had. And so we met with him 
in like the first week of January, we went to Jin Fong, which is one of his favorite dim sum places. <laughs> and we just, we did the hard press. We're like, yes. Jake, look, we know you want to work with us. We're working on, on a big seed funding round. Like when this comes through, we need you. And, and basically he told us that uh, the company he was working at previously kind of, you know, misled him on, on what he'd be doing uh, and that he felt comfortable, um, you know, making the move fairly early. And so in a way we were able to get that sort of technical prowess at a very, very early, uh, very early stage, uh, because we were able to to meet with the the right connections through Big Human. But to be honest with you, I'd say if, if I had to say we had our one luckiest break, <laughs> it was being able to get Jake at that venture. Because without having someone with with such incredible technical skills at an early stage. Um, I think we would have been in a lot of trouble. Yeah, and having the team in place is everything, especially early on, especially this type of product. I mean, without that, like you said, I mean, it's so important to have, and that's something that a lot of people struggle with who have, they have an idea that definitely requires some technical expertise. And yeah, thankfully, you were able to get get them on board to help you build. And with that too, with the kind of initial version of the product, obviously, you have so many people who are interested. How are you getting the word out initially once you had this kind of MVP built out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I mentioned before how uh, it's funny, Jordan and I decided to build a, a prop tech company, even though we had never ter- heard the term prop tech, neither <laughs> of us were in real estate and neither of us were technical co-founders. Right. And so I think that we just saw a problem that needed to be solved and we were confident in our ability to solve basically any problem with the right amount of funding and the right team. And so what we did was we, we started leveraging our network. And so uh, Jordan is an absolute world-class networker. I mean, just one of the best I've ever met. And so he's he's able to go into this deep trove of contacts from the past decade and a half. I mean, he's only 33 years old uh, and, and still he's got this long list of, of really deep contacts. And so um, he happened to be at uh, his cousin's house in, in Union Square. Uh, actually, I think Chelsea. Yeah. Um, and and his, cousin's, um, his cousin's roommate is a gentleman named Zach Spellman. And so... Um, his, uh, Jordan's cousin, uh, I believe it was Sam, Sam said, Oh, Jordan, why don't you show my roommate, Zach, what you're working on? Because Zach works at a real estate company. (laughs) And so Jordan pulls out his laptop. We have the prototype, uh, and we're literally just clicking through. It's just an envision demo at this point. Like big human hadn't even created the prototype. We're just in the click through demo stage. And Zach immediately recognizes like they, they own multifamily, um, uh, Simon Barron, the company he worked for, they had incubated companies in the past. So they had incubated a company called Ollie, which is a co-living company. And so they have experience doing this. And then, so Zach said, I have to show this to my bosses. Like they are going to flip over this. They're going to like throw a million bucks at you. Like <laughs> get, get over here. Right. Yes. And so we got introduced to their boss, um, John Simon and Matt Barron. And then over the course of the next few months, uh, we introduced them to the topic. They loved it. They're super forward looking landlords. And they knew everything about real estate that we didn't know. And we found in them that sort of industry expertise, that forward-looking vision, but also just John and Matt are just excellent human beings with an amazing team. And we just loved their vibe. Like we, we loved their transparency. We loved their ambition. We loved their energy. And uh, we loved that they wanted to like help us shepherd us through the process. And so when we agreed on a funding round, they became our outside director. They gave us office space. So like we're all 18 of our employees, you know, post COVID when we're back in the office, yeah. will be in the Simon Barron offices. Um, and so they've provided not only that gravitas of having like a major developer and tech incubator um, help us out and, and give us uh, not only the initial funding and the space, um, but also give us their expertise because we're able to meet with everyone on their team. And, and real estate in New York City is a very small world, right? You think about the largest real estate market in the US and, and really one of the most dominant across the world. And then you realize how, how every major power broker knows each other. And so with Matt and John, they gave us just access to their entire Rolodex. And so um, you know, they introduced us to, to Corage Ventures, who uh, they're both a real estate investment company and a VC company. Um, they invested in Latch, they invested in Compass. Um, they, we, they introduced us to uh, a, a number of other landlords, including Stonehenge, that ended up investing in us as well. And so we were able to overcome our initial deficiencies on the tech end by getting someone like Jake, who we trusted on really early on, right. and then be, overcome our deficiencies in knowledge and real estate 
by partnering with experts who believed in our vision, who, who we could trust and who we knew would be excellent partners. That's amazing. And it goes to show just the value of having a network and keeping in contact. And I've kind of always stressed this point to other people. And you've seen it over and over again with guests I've interviewed on the show of like, they have this network where they built this out and been able to use that then to get advice, get connections. And it's just so powerful, especially when you're trying to build a company. And you know, like you said, making up for your deficiencies with people who can help fill those is so important because you're never going to know everything about your industry or your business or you know what, what you need to actually grow this thing and with door key too then what was the business model behind this because obviously there has to be that side of things like what was that going to be for you guys and what is it now yeah so let me start by answering the business model question by by saying like when we originally started this i came at this from the perspective of the tenant because yeah. that was my my personal experience, right? I was both a, a tenant that was an apartment seeker, as we, we call them. So someone looking for a new apartment. And I was also the departing tenant. I was someone moving out of an apartment at the end of my lease. And so I had that lived experience and I knew that there were so many pain points there. And I spoke to all my friends and I knew that those exact same pain points existed for them. And so um, I knew that we needed to solve those problems. But what we came to realize very early on is that the landlords are the ones with the power in the dynamic. They're the ones who own the buildings. They're the ones who own the units. They set the price. They decide what the standards are for people who uh, they, their tenants that are incoming. Um, and they're the ones ultimately that say yes or no on a lease. And so we had looked around and, and there had been some previous competitors to us who had roughly had the same idea of a peer-to-peer -peer network, but their execution was off. And so one of the major things that the, those previous competitors had missed is that you have to build a product that speaks not just to the tenants, but speaks to the landlords. Yeah. And so if we're building a product that speaks to the landlords, and if they're the ones that are getting the most value out of Dorky's platform, well, then they're also the one that has to pay for Dorky's platform. And so with, with Dorky, we charge the landlord uh, or the landlord is responsible for paying 5% of the cost of the new annual lease. And so to put that in perspective, most brokers charge between eight and 16%. So we're a significant savings. Yeah, Jesus is right. <laughs> we're a significant savings over just the broker fee, right? But add on top of that, that you typically have to absorb about a month's vacancy. That's another 8% of lost revenue in a given year because brokers show units when they're vacant. Dorky shows units before they're vacant. On average, we're closing units 35 days before vacancy. And so since we are saving such tremendous amounts of money for landlords on each transaction, on average, they're saving over $5,000 for every unit rented through Dorky. It, it's a total no-brainer for landlords to pay our service fee. And so that 5% that we charge them, about half of it, depending on the economics of the, the apartment, about half is refunded to the departing tenant as their, as their fee. And then the remaining half comes to Dorky as our fee. That is, I mean, it's incredible just to think about the model behind it because it just makes so much sense. And with that too, then my mind instantly goes to this of like, okay, how are you signing up new, new, new tenants and new buildings on the platform? Like, how is that going in terms of growth with, with that side of things? Yeah. So we've been, we've been really, really lucky because we, we decided early on that in order to build, we're a double-sided network effects company. Right. So what that means is, you know, for some of your listeners who, who may not be familiar, is that we're the platform, we're the market maker. And so we connect the supply side and the demand side. But when, it's, when you say it's double-sided, that means that there's not one big supplier, there's not one big uh, demand. Instead, it's distributed supply and distributed demand. So you have a whole bunch of people purveying units and a whole bunch of people looking for units. And so when you have that double-sided market effects, it's really, really difficult to get that flywheel going. And so what we decided to do is target really big landlords early on, because by saying getting one yes from a landlord, we can get potentially thousands of units on the platform. And so that's what we did, right? Simon Barron, they own... Um, over a thousand units in New York, in New York City. Um, our other early investors, such as Bushberg and Plaza, they own thousands of units in Brooklyn. Stonehenge owns thousands of units in Manhattan. And so we decided all of our investors in our seed round, all of them, including Corrigin Ventures, which is a, a prop tech VC early stage fund, all of them owned units in New York City. And so that was important to us because one, we got their instant inventory. We we're like, you got to put your units on the platform. 
and, and you got to let us broker them for you. Yeah. Um, but then that also showed other landlords because most of most of real estate, you know, they're tech laggards. They things have been working for them. They're they're reticent to shake things up. You know, it's a stable uh, investment asset class, and so they're just slow to adopt new innovations and new technologies. Well, when you have other landlords who you know and respect, and remember, I mentioned before, but how small the network actually is in New York. Once you see your friends or your colleagues, former business partners adopting this new technology, your ears start perking up, and you say you know what, maybe I should try this out. And so that's really what we did is we leveraged those contacts of our investors, of, of John and Matt, of reaching out. And frankly, like all we needed was to get in the door and explain the fundamentals of the concept, show them how the platform worked, show them all of our integrations. And frankly, like a lot of landlords, like, you know what, this makes a lot of sense. I'm willing to try it out. Uh, and now we just came out of our beta back in April. So we've only been out of beta for about four months and we already have four of the top 10 landlords in New York City Jeez. as clients. That's amazing. And one thing I just want to, honestly, just for, for my note, because I know you guys are going to grow so much. As of the website right now, in this moment, August, let's see here, 13th, three boroughs, 73 neighborhoods, 405 buildings, 8,257 units. That's tremendous. And I know that's only going to grow. And this is only, you know, three boroughs in New York City. Like with that side of things, looking at where you're, you're at now, this is as of today, mm -hmm. I mean, where, I mean, are you looking to grow, grow the next the year or two? Are you staying in New York? Are you expanding outside of that? Like what's kind of that plan of things? Mm -hmm. So I have these conversations a lot, like not just with the team, but also with our advisors. So I mentioned Corage Adventures as our, our Steve Stage VC. Uh, recently, we, we opened a convertible note and Alpha Edison, who's a West Coast VC, um, became one of our investors and advisors. And, and I talk with them really often because they have the expertise in this field. Um, and I asked them like, you know, when is, when do we press on the gas? When do we expand? When do we go for a Series A? And, and, and the things we were talking about is um, New York being such a large, such a complex, such a lucrative, but also a perfect fit market for Dorky. Yeah. If, if we're able to even capture 15% of the market in New York City, you're talking about like uh, easily um, uh, a unicorn valuation, e yeah. easily. And that's just, that's just capturing a relatively small percentage of the marketplace in just in one city. And so that kind of gives you the perspective of the of the size of this addressable market. And so New York City alone, like if we dominate there, I think we'd be we'd be thrilled. But the reality is this business model of getting the departing tenant incentivized and involved early and their incentives aligned with that of the landlord and the new tenant, well that model works everywhere. And so we, we may need to tweak it a little bit. Like we've, we've already, we hired an MBA intern this summer. Her name is uh, Sam Frankel. She was amazing. Unfortunately, she's off to work at, at American Express, but she's really helped us hone which markets that we're, we're heading to next, yeah. uh, depending on, on the individual market dynamics. And so um, we, we, we think we know where we're headed, but what we need to do first is we need to make sure that all of our backend operations are scalable. And so when I was naive, uh, very early on, I thought like, there's no such thing as growing too fast, right? That you can't grow too fast, like good problem to have. Well, that's very much a problem. And so we, you know, we've had thousands of units added to the platform just in the, in the, in the last couple of months. And so that has, has forced us to become a lot more dynamic. It's, it's forced us to really button down every element of our process. Um, our CS team is very lean and we like to keep it that way because the whole point is that we are able to be this automated platform that saves landlords and apartment seekers and departing tenants time. And so what we are working on is taking all of the kinks out of that process, automating things like onboarding, automating things like you know email uh, nudges through our drip campaign for our, our renewals, for lease renewals, doing things like closings, like automated closings. Um, once we have that figured out and the platform um, is let's call it 90% automated. That's when we feel confident enough to not only expand within New York, but also expand outside. Because um, the reality is if you dump a whole bunch of money at a problem, that only works if you, if you know how to use the money effectively and efficiently. And so um, we're looking to grow in New York through the end of this year. And then hopefully 
by middle of next year, we feel confident enough not only to press the gas here, but also expand to some other major cities across across the U.S. Yeah, and John, selfishly, I just want you to be in Los Angeles and other places that I'm <laughs> in, so that's why I have to ask. I'm just like, oh, yeah, you should definitely expand by middle of next year. My lease is up, so that's perfect. That's perfect. Anything I can do to influence that, I will happily do. <laughs> and one thing I want to go back to as well, I know uh, you, you touched on this a little bit and how important it was to get those particular investors you had on board. What I want to go back to is uh, you raised you know, $5.7 million, uh, in that in that seed round. How was that as a first-time founder? How long was that process? How difficult was that to do? Because I want to give people perspective on that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, a, this is a really interesting process. I mean, I have learned more in the past two years that I've been focused solely on Dorky than perhaps the entire previous decade. And, <laughs> and my entire previous decade included two major um, career changes, right? I was a lawyer. I went to law school straight from undergrad. I was a lawyer for two and a half years. I, I switched over to consulting for two and a half years. And I learned so much in those careers. And, and yet the learning by doing aspect uh, of, of just being an entrepreneur, of just figuring it out on your own and, and just trial and error, just taking really good guesses and then making sure that you've, you've reasoned them out and then just seeing what sticks. And so uh, over the course of the past two years, we've really just like, like I said, we've reasoned through it. We've tried things out. We've kept what's worked. We've gotten rid of what hasn't. And so um, there are like a lot of mistakes, I think, that that we just learn from and that we embrace. Um, and there's just so much that that I think that over the course of the past two years, we've we've really just decided on we've really narrowed down. Uh, we're just like whittling away options. We've just been moving like that. We, we start out with a really, really wide berth because we weren't there were so many unknown unknowns. And so m- the more and more as we were able to just try things out uh, and experiment uh, and then and not have an ego about it. Right. Like just listen to what the results are telling you. And so listen to what your customer wants. Like your when they say that the customer's always right, they don't mean that you you have to let someone be a jerk and scream in your face. What they mean is that if you have a theory about the market and you try out that theory and the market is saying we don't want this, right? And you make adjustments and like they they're still saying we don't want this. That means you need to adjust your product and your approach to fit the needs of 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 your clients. Right. And so that's really what we've been doing over the course of the past two years is just trying something out, listening, you know, for, for the feedback, hearing from, you know, our investors, because we had those landlord investors come in and we've been working closely with them. We have weekly calls with them. We have them review our new pot- potential product features. Uh, they give us feedback on design, on marketing campaigns. And so that, that partnership has been completely invaluable in helping us decide what our next step is. With that too, then, so in that process of, of fundraising, did you know, like, were you actually targeting the amount you ended up getting? Because I know it can be a, a wide variety of things with that too. And and yeah. were there people you wanted to include you couldn't? Like, mm-hmm. How did that go with that? Yeah, Justin, sorry. I I, I totally didn't answer your question. No, it's all good. Crazy <laughs> so yeah, so funding. So obviously, Jordan and I had had never done anything like this before. And so we were, we were lucky in to have, you know, a world-class set of advisors early on. Because again, Jordan, just being a master networker, was able to put us in touch with not only great law firms, but great startup advisors. And so when we first uh, got the money from from Mark, the angel funding, you know, yeah. that was like, I, I was the first time really negotiating a, a funding round with anybody. Uh, but Mark, the, the, it wasn't adversarial. Mark trusted us. We trusted him. There's a longstanding relationship between Jordan and Mark. And so that negotiation was a lot more friendly. And it was a lot, it, we had the trust in the relationship uh, pre-existing. And so we just came to what was fair. We were, we were not trying to uh, pull one over on him. He wasn't trying to, to, to grab more than, than, he, um, than he deserved. And yeah. so it was like a very, it was a fairly easy process as a matter of fact. Um, so appreciate, uh, you know, uh, Mark, like I said, will forever be uh, props, one of props our- Mark. Uh, Props to Mark. Props to Mark. But, but after, that, uh, after that, when, when Mark and, uh, I'm sorry, when John and Matt, when we started negotiating with them, it was quite a bit different because they've been in the real estate field. They've incubated companies before. Um, and so that process was um, a little bit more involved because they, they had had some lawyers that had done this before. And so from, from our end, um, we didn't get the lawyers involved until the end, right? Because we, we were running out of money. We, were, we, you know, we had only so much angel funding left. And so we weren't going to be spending it on expensive lawyers 
um, to, to negotiate for us. After all, Jordan and I were lawyers, right? Why can't we do this? <laughs> um, and so it's funny. I remember being in, so Carlton Fields is our, our, our law firm. And we were in their Miami office and we were talking to Matt and John. Uh, this is like maybe, this may be like a, a little over a year and a half ago. And we were, we were negotiating and I remember being in the room and we were kind of like buttoning up final terms and, and Matt and John were going to be like our lead seed funding round. And they wanted just a huge chunk of the company, just yeah. like an absolutely lot. Like, and, and I kept trying to negotiate with them. I'm like, it's not that we don't want you to have a big chunk. But like, like I said, it's a double-sided network effects company. We need to save other, we need to save room in the round to give to other companies, right? Um, to give to other landlords because we want that sort of brain trust. So eventually, we were able to convince Matt and John. They're like, you know what? This this does make sense. It it, it enables you to expand your your network and get more units on the platform. So they finally came around. Um, and even though they were our lead seed investor, they then went to work filling out the remainder of the round. And so. Um, we, we raised a little bit under four, um, up, up until July of last year. And, uh, the way we did that is that the bulk of that was from, uh, Simon Barron. And then they introduced us, like I said, to Stonehenge and, and Corrigan and, and Jordan had already had the relationship with Bushberg. And so really the way it works is when you have a, a priced round, like, like our seed series was, you, you generally negotiate with one partner, you, or not one partner, but one investor. Yeah. And it's usually a sophisticated investor. It's either a VC um, or a strategic partner who has experience in this. They have a law firm that has experience doing these sort of deals. And, and frankly, um, most seed series deals look more or less similar, right? Like you're, you're oftentimes giving up a board seat. You're oftentimes, um, you know, there are some operational controls that they may be asking for. Um, you know, the, the power should still sit in the hands of the founders, but it's fair if you're, if you're giving a lot of money that you, you should have some oversight. Um, and then also what they're doing is they're, they're setting the price. They're setting like follow on rights, right? Whether or not they're able to invest and keep their, um, their percentage at the next round, um, t- uh, drag along rights, um, all of this sort of thing are negotiated, but a lot of the terms are are fairly standard. And so yeah. if you, you get yourself a good VC firm that can advise on this, they, they've seen a lot of deal flow. They know what industry standard is. Um, that's why you want someone experienced to help you out. Uh, and then once those terms are set by your by your lead, the lead of the round, what will typically happen is you figure out how much um, you want to raise. And, that, and that's what we had, we had done is, um, you know, me, Jordan and James, put together this business model, we figured out, okay, here's how much money we think we need for call it 18 months of, you know, first R&D, just building out the product, and then a year of actually being in the marketplace to get enough traction to show product market fit, because that's really all you need to do in your seed round, right? You're not expected to be profitable, right? No one expects (laughs) you to be profitable. No one expects your unit economics to be in the black right off the bat, even though thankfully dorkies are. Um, no one expects you to solve every problem. No one expects you to automate everything. No one expects you to understand truly where this can go. They just want to know that your thesis that the market wants a product like this um, and is willing to pay for it actually exists. And so, you know, this is our first time putting together a budget like this. And so we were able to get advice not only from Carlton Fields, but some other folks in, in Jordan's network, some of my friends um, from undergrad, one of my, my best friends, Frank Ferrara, um, you know, he worked in the hedge fund world and accounting. Uh, he worked in IR. He was able to help us with our financial modeling because his, I don't know if you know this about lawyers, we are terrible at math. <laughs> do not let us do math. Check, um, noted. So, <laughs> right. So, just, you know, right. So I had, we, I just reached out to everybody in my network who I knew could help out in, in some way. Um, and so we had a close group of advisors help us build that model to figure out, you know, how much money we would need, uh, figure out how much money we think we could, we could reasonably make over the course of the next 10 years. Um, and then as we were putting that together, we really just figured out, okay, this is how much we need to raise. And so typically in a seed round, you're giving up between, you know, call it anywhere between 20 to 30% of the company. And so you figure out like, kind of like, you know, backwards, you're like, how much do I need to raise? Therefore, how much should the valuation be? It's very thumb in the air early on. And a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with two things. One is that TAM that I talked about before, right? If most VCs will tell you, if you can't get to $100 million in ARR, annual recurring revenue, eventually 
then you're probably not a startup, like a VC-backed startup. Correct, because it's yeah. just not worth it. Like the failure rate for startups is so high that the TAM has to be enormous, right? So we, we have that, right? The TAM is just ridiculous just in, in New York City. And then the other side of it is at a, such an early stage, they're investing in the people. They're investing in you, right? So they're investing in Jordan and I and James and the folks that, that we were going to add to the team. And so um, actually, funny enough, we started using Docsend. Um, the, the app where you yep. can like upload information. It's like very safe and secure. And so it also tracks that app tracks how long investors or whoever you send it to the recipient spends on each slide or on each page of a presentation. So the two slides that we found that our investors spent the most time looking at was the total addressable market slide, <laughs> right? Like reasonably of how course. much money <laughs> do we think we can make, right? And the leadership slide, right? Is this a team? Do they have the experience? Do they have the skill set? Do they have the right mindset that, that can make this a winner? And so really, when we were having these conversations with the VCs early on, they were grilling us. You know, Jordan and I were getting tough questions, not just about the market, but about ourselves, because that's, that's who they were investing in. And so early on, the, the best advice I can give you is that you, you have to make sure that you're solving a problem that you know is a problem. You're not just building a business and build a business. That you're you're solving one. If you want to get into the venture backed side of things, it needs to be a really big market to get VCs excited about it. And you need to make sure that you are building a team and that your partner has a complementary skill set because early on, right, you're going to be doing everything. The two of you or the three of you are going to be doing everything. You need to make sure that either you guys can do it yourself or you have a very close um, asset or resource that can fill in those gaps. Because if not, it's going to get really expensive really quickly and you're going to start uh, eating through that runway. Yeah. And that leads directly into what I wanted to talk about next was, you know, one, not to be too much of a downer, but one of the things, a couple of things that kind of derail startups, one being funding, obviously, mm -hmm. product market mm -hmm. fit, and then team issues. And so between you and your co-founders, I mean, how did you decide on like your roles and responsibilities and how has uh, that gone just in terms of like team and how you guys communicate and how you operate as a team? Mm -hmm. So one thing that that's not uncommon in founder relationships is there's a pre-existing relationship um, before you become founder. So for Jordan and I, you know, we met the first day of law school in, in 2010 and we became instant best friends, right? So it's, it's been a decade of, of just incredibly close friendship. Right. Uh, and we knew we wanted to be in business. And, and we both said to each other that we had a lot of friends and that, you know, basically we, very few of them would we, would, would we actually go into business with. And so we had that trust-based relationship where there's no ego between the two of us. When I'm wrong, he calls me out on it and I listen to him and we debate fiercely. And then I admit that I'm wrong and vice versa. And if the, there's, no, there's, no, um, there's no pride of ownership in ideas. If someone else's idea is better, well, we're going to go with that idea because you don't care about having had been right in the past. We only care about being right in the future. <laughs> and so yep. when you have that sort of relationship, that is a great foundation for building a startup because you're going to be wrong a whole heck of a lot. And you have to be af not afraid to say, you know what, your idea is better. Let's go with that. And let's move quickly. Like time is the enemy, right? U ultimately, you think that, that uh, your competitors are the enemy. No, 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 no. You are in a race against time. And so being able to be just nimble and adaptable and, and, and admit you're wrong and try new things is, is what Jordan and I's relationship uh, was based off of. And so, um, you know, him and I have um, a lot of overlapping skills, but some complementary ones. And, and when we were deciding about, you know, who would have each role early on, you know, Jordan was actually the one to suggest that, that I be CEO based on, on my skill set. And I, like, I thought it would be a good fit as well. But the reality is super early on, like we were making all the decisions together. And so yeah. title was kind of arbitrary, right? But then as things start to grow and expand and, and, and soon enough, it was no longer just me, Jordan and James. Soon enough, it was, you know, we had Jake and then we hired Jared and then we had, I'm um, trying to go in order here. And then we had, we had Jorge at that time. And then, you know, Liv came on board shortly afterwards. It's like, we're, so we're growing out the team. And like, as you're growing, you start realizing, okay, like we need to start specializing the things we're doing. And so you having, you want on your team early on a lot of what Reed Hoffman calls um, uh, Swiss army knives. So someone who can wear a lot of different caps yep. and do them all really, really well, right? However, you want those Swiss army knives 
in an area. So like Jake, he's a Swiss Army knife in engineering, right? He is our backend engineer and he can do iOS apps and he can do, um, you know, and he can be the manager of the engineers and he can be the head of engineering, right? Like architecting things out. Um, with with James, he's a Swiss Army knife. Like everything we don't know how to do, we just make James. Do. We're like literally like, figure out every operational thing. Like I need you to figure out how to recruit people. I need you to figure out how to onboard them. I need you to figure out how to like do this, like like negotiate our uh, our 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 uh, contracts with some of our uh, outside vendors. Uh, we need you to figure out how to like integrate with these these APIs and and these and these other companies. And so. These Swiss Army knives and these people who are generalists, right? They're generalists, but they're generalists in a field, like a generalist in engineering, a generalist in product, a generalist in ops. And so, um, you know, I was the sort of generalist for the for the company at large. And and Jordan's like, you know, he needs to be more focused on something because having two generalists, you, you start to have a lot of overlap. And what you really need is to make sure all of your bases are covered. And so as we started realizing um, the opportunities in front of us, that's when we started to say, okay, Jordan, like how can we use your skill set in a super targeted way? And so for one, I, I've, I've now said this a few times, but like just being a world-class negotiator, uh, I'm sorry, not negotiator, um, networker yeah. is, is wildly important for, for any, for any business, right? Um, he's, he's what Malcolm Gladwell would call a connector, um, right? He's one of the three key elements in starting a business is you have a connector. He's just a, he's got a guy for everything. And so <laughs> his ability to build relationships and, and just know people and remember things about people and connect with people, like we thought it was a no brainer. Like our lifeblood is our relationships with our landlord and, and building out the processes that will support them. And so you know, as we were beginning to open up our beta, we figured this is a no-brainer, right? Jordan has these uh, amazing relationships. He's great at building them and cultivating them. And honestly, because we need those landlords um, on such a deep and sustained level, we thought it was important to have a co-founder be the lead of that function. Um, and that's what he's been doing, uh, you know, in addition to obviously a million other things. But his focus <laughs> has been on what, what we consider the absolute um, linchpin in the entirety of the business model, which is making and keeping our landlords happy. And, and they know that when they have a co-founder on the line, that if there's a problem, uh, you know, it will be fixed, that they can obviously trust us, that they have all of our attention. Um, and so really what we did was like early on, we went from both of us being generalists to over time figuring out you know, okay, we need one generalist sort of like overseeing a lot of the, the different verticals. We also need someone to get more specific to, to hone in on the specific problems that we as dorky had. And so if you have a couple of co-founders, um, especially if one, if they're, they're both non-technical, um, you, you just more likely than not, as you grow, will need to find um, a major problem that uh, what the other co-founder can focus on because one, it needs to get solved. And two, having these sort of two generalists just end up in a lot of overlap, which, which actually ends up in a lot of wasted effort. Yeah. And it's fascinating to see how that's evolved for you guys over time, just hearing your, hearing your story. And it's so important. Like you have those roles. It's not going to be clear to find necessarily early on, but like you said, as you move forward and as you grow, like you're going to have to define it more so as yeah. things get more complicated. And and one of the last things I want to know is just what is kind of the, the grand vision for DoorKey moving forward? Yeah, the, the, the grand vision. So we don't often talk about this because we have to execute on on what we're trying to accomplish right now. And so we, we can't take our eye off the ball. Sure. Um, there's, a good, there's a good Churchill quote about how only uh, something, I'm going to butcher it, but it's something like, <laughs> only one link in the chain of history can be dealt with at a time. Um, and so while we have these grand visions, we realize that in order to get there, we have to start small. We have to make sure that we, we have operational excellence here and then we can eventually get there. Um, but as far as like what we think the future is, is, is being a platform. And we're not just delivering a service. Right now, we're delivering a number of services where we connect uh, apartment seekers and departing tenants on a peer-to-peer -peer network we save them all a lot of time. We save them a lot of money. We save them a lot of headaches. Uh, and, and we do the same for landlords. But, but ultimately, the, the really disjointed uh, process of, of renting is a microcosm of the disjointed process of moving. And so yeah. there are so many elements that go into not only deciding where you're going to live and finding the place and touring it and applying, but like there are a whole bunch of other things that need to happen as well. And so we view ourselves 
as eventually being the platform where people come to to not only transact on their apartment and, and find it ahead of time and do so you know in an automated and, and inexpensive fashion, but we also want to be able to eventually be the platform where you're able to compare prices for moving companies. So we have an integrate we have an integration with a company called move.com. Great company out of New York City. Uh, if you need a price quote for moving instantaneously, they get really granular, they get really awesome and accurate quotes and you get it instantaneously. So we've already partnered with a moving company where um, you can actually find your movers in advance, you can price uh, compare them uh, and you can find the one that fits right for you. We view that sort of partnership as really just the, the beginning of, of where we start to go. And so people need guarantors, right? If you're, if you can't cover the rent by yourself, you may need a guarantor, or if you're someone like a foreign national, you may need to, um, you know, you may not have um, American credit history, you may need a guarantor. How about security deposits, right? Security deposits are expensive and they're onerous um, and you don't have access to that money. What about um, replacements for that? What about uh, apartment insurance? What about, um, uh, you know, like fixing holes in your wall or, or buying furniture? Um, all of these things are, are just incredibly disjointed. And wouldn't it be great if there was one place, there was sort of like an Amazon of moving where we, you trust us, you know, all of your information is one is in one place and you can connect with all of the links in the chain that you need to, to have a really just, just rewarding moving um, experience. And, and that's what we hope to be one day for the entire United States and, and you know, <laughs> who knows, maybe beyond. The world, Mars, everything, no big deal. I love the, <laughs> love, love the ambition to partner with Elon at one point too, uh, right, which, which will be great. I'll shoot him a, shoot him a text. Yeah, I'll be like, hey, like, <laughs> we're going to get Dorky's logo on Mars. Like how much is that going to cost? Exactly. Send him a text, slide in the DMs, whatever it takes, John. I totally understand. And where can people go to learn more about Dorky and all your building? Yeah. So uh, go to dorky.com, uh, two O's, two E's, no Y. That's D-O-O-R-K-E-E.com. And so if you're in New York City and you're a landlord, we'd love to hear from you because we can purvey your units uh, at a steep, steep discount. Uh, and, and as a matter of fact, uh, for, for new landlords that sign up, uh, we're doing their, their first rental for free. So uh, no, you try before you buy. Um, and then if you're an apartment seeker uh, who's looking for a unit and you're like, oh, I want to look for a unit in November or I want to look for a unit in October, come to Dorky. We're the only place that has <laughs> units that far out. You yeah. cannot find them anywhere else. Come to Dorky. And if you're moving out and you know you're leaving, right, you're, you're leaving the city or you're buying a house, um, you know, contact us. We'll we'll contact your landlord for you. And then uh, we're actually rolling out a referral program next month where if you reach out to us and then you give us your information for your landlord, you can earn a referral fee if the landlord signs up on Dorky. So we're just giving away money left and right. <laughs> there's, there's really very little commitment. Um, it's, it's, a, it's just a totally seamless, easy, integrated process. And there's no reason why if you're thinking of moving either into or out of an apartment, uh, or if you're a landlord, why you shouldn't come to Dorky. That's amazing. And coming to Los Angeles soon, hint, hint, wink, wink. Uh, <laughs> John, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for coming to the show today. You, you got it, Justin. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.